So Vlad, I want to talk to you about some microcontrollers. It's kind of a continuation of last episode, but but first, um, we would like to officially welcome everyone to um, the Automation Hub with me, Dave, and this guy over here, Vlad. Um, again, it has been 16 weeks since Vlad and I have kind of given you guys updates about everything, um, and we are excited to uh, and, and we're excited to talk about kind of everything that has been going on with us, the show, answer your questions, and uh, and, and go from there. So, no, thank you. Uh, thank you all very much. I guess we don't have a guest, so Vlad, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. I think it would be appropriate maybe to give some updates as, uh, you know, as you mentioned on the podcast where we're trying to go. I know that we've been talking a lot about themes in the background and the way I think we've tried to structure it as that every single month we'll have a theme. And obviously that takes a little bit of time, a little bit of planning, reaching out to the appropriate parties to make sure that they obviously provide value to the listeners. And I think the idea that, um, you know, we're sticking with coming up in a couple of weeks is going to be systems integrators. So again, I don't think we have it like 100% confirmed, but it's uh, definitely a very interesting topic to me. So speaking with people who are running systems integration companies, and we've done so in the past, right, as part of even uh, the co sponsorship we've talked we've talked to multiple people including uh david from loop we talked to um francisco from uh what is it automation ecuador solutions ecuador asc Ex exactly and so i think those conversations have been really interesting because we learn and i guess everybody at the same time benefits we learn about different technologies we're trying to figure out what they're doing how they're mm -hmm. advancing their business and i think it's a lot of interest especially you know, for myself, because it's trying to grow from a, I w again, there are different paths and stages of their enterprise, but it gives me maybe ideas on how to grow um, in the technical space. So that's, uh, I think, very relevant uh, to many individuals. And I think a lot of people aspire to, at some point, you know, go off on their own. And if not, at least they get a, a feel of what it takes to run a company and thus they can I either understand the dynamics, how to get to the next career position, so on and so forth. So that's kind of the next theme that we're thinking about. As yep. Dave mentioned, we've gotten a sponsorship from the previous one. We're still talking to a few individuals for uh, sponsoring the systems integration theme. So that hasn't been uh, finalized or announced. As we get closer, we can definitely share that information. But yeah, so that's going to be following a similar format. To the episodes, uh, Dave mentioned that uh, we missed a couple, and that's completely on me. So we've been posting regularly on Thursdays, if you've been following the last couple of weeks, but we've missed a couple of episodes that we filmed prior to, uh, to last month, so that should be up. The other thing I wanted to mention, you know, um, some of these like little items, or if you want to hear about guests, like where to find them, find their LinkedIn. So on manufacturing that uh, manufacturing hub that live, there's a guests section, and typically if you want to, you know, connect or reach out to some of those individuals, there's going to be a link to their uh, to their LinkedIn to their company, and so you can find more information about them if you have. Uh, again, I think we've talked a lot about companies companies that are hiring in the automation space. And I believe that it's very um, valuable to the listeners, but it may not always be obvious where to locate them. So if you go on manufacturinghub.live slash guests or click on the tab on the very top, you'll be able to find all the guests. You'll be able to find the companies. So when they mention we are hiring, you can see where the link is if you're listening to this after 
the LinkedIn and uh, the YouTube broadcast. Dave, anything else that we uh, want to discuss or mention about uh, the podcast specifically? I mean, I think kind of the number one thing is we want to thank everyone uh, for continuing to stick with us. Uh, So as we probably mentioned, episode one or two or three, you know, this was this was kind of a off the cuff comment nearly a year ago that was like, hey, should we try something? And it turned into us spending so many hours trying to figure it out. And then we did it the first time. and We're like, man, this is so much fun. So thank thanks, everyone, for sticking with us. 32 episodes 33 episodes uh whatever number we're at thank you to everyone um for yeah thank you to for everyone for continuing to watch this we are absolutely looking to to grow the the podcast the show um vlad and i are talking about a couple of giveaways uh you know some fun things as a way to you know give back and thank everyone for watching it um if you guys have thoughts so uh, we've reached the point where we've got you know a couple of thousand views every week on the live videos and we are looking at expanding what we're doing on the podcast side especially for people that are podcast listeners and maybe don't want to sit in front of a linkedin and watch us talk for an hour um so we're looking at some different ways to do that but if you guys have thoughts um we're absolutely always interested to kind of hear your thoughts and your feedback either live now or please feel free to drop either of us a uh, either of us a message. Um, we're absolutely interested in doing that. And then on the off chance, if there are additional sponsors that we have not had conversations with and you guys want to reach out, we, we kind of sort of have a package put together that we can actually send back and we don't have to, to go and, and refigure everything out, uh, which I suppose is what makes us semi-professional uh, podcasters at this point, Vlad. But no, I, I think kind of to start off, you know, to finish that thought is thank you to everyone uh, for being here and listening. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Vlad and I could listen to us for as long as you guys have listened to us uh, go through the interviews. And, and again, thank you to all the guests who have uh, who have made this uh, such a good time. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm always on the lookout for good uh, quality, like manufacturing podcasts. I know that I listen to a lot of the content Tim Wellborn puts out, you know, because it's yeah. more on the technical side. So I always mm-hmm. like to see how things are done um by uh, engineers frank lamb as you mentioned dave Mm -hmm. is is putting out content i think semi-regularly there's also sam who talks more about erp who spoke with us you know a few episodes back but uh but no always on the lookout if you guys have any other suggestions i think that would be uh fantastic but dave what um you know i'm curious to dive into the meat of this episode Mm -hmm. what have you been up to Let's say when, when's the last time we spoke? So four months. What have you been up to for the last four months? Man, we've been we've been busy, Vlad. I, I mm-hmm. think that uh, I think so. Four months ago, we were talking about different opportunities, and we've done a, a series of engagements. So I think I described what we were doing with with discoveries or, or road mappings, and so we've gone through. And done a couple of those with clients. We are finishing up another one or two in, I don't know, probably like the next 36 hours. And so those are all, th- those are going well. Um, as is the goal, it kind of gives us all the ability to kind of figure out what uh, what next steps look like. And so we've moved forward into larger engagements with a couple, and we've helped move uh, move some other people to, uh, to, to groups who can help satisfy kind of their needs or help put them on the path internally to, uh, to do the work that they need to do. Um, we are working on a couple of implementations. 
Uh, I'm not sure I can talk about any of them at the moment because they are in process. So, so we're working on uh, a training coaching uh, program for some uh, instruments or for, for some electricians and instrument techs. A lot of that specifically revolving around problem solving and figuring out what is going, uh, what are the issues with downtime. That is kind of the first step in what we can brand as like a larger digital transformation uh, project for that company. <laughs> that, it, that is one of those projects that we agree to do it in, I don't know, 10 weeks, a year and a half ago. And, uh, and now we're here and, and uh, we, we are hopefully gonna get those finished up in the, in the relative near future. And then we are working on one or two other implementations, a lot of like data visualization um, and processes, which is kind of the continuation um, re-implementation of a couple of, uh, of our discovery road mappings um, that we had talked about as well. So, so we, we've, been, we've been very busy, um, especially the last month or six weeks. It seems like if I could spend five more hours a day in front of Zoom calls and writing reports, I would spend five more days in front of Zoom calls and writing reports. And as I think everyone, as many people who know me know, uh, we, we have been nomadic for nearly the last five years. And so we are back in Western New York, up near Buffalo. Um, and so we've seen lots of friends and family, but we've also gone out to at least a couple of clients um, to work with them during the time that we're here. And so the, the, the time that we spend in Western New York is always the busiest, both personally and professionally. And so this year has absolutely not, th this year has absolutely not uh, stopped that. And so we're happy to be here and we're gonna spend, I think most of the rest of the month of October um, back up here before it may or may not start snowing on us and, uh, and we start heading south. But, uh, but no, that's, that's kind of the, the basic general updates. As I, you know, kind of ask the question with all of our guests, but I started with the, I can expand on many things in that statement, <laughs> right? Yep. But I, I like your, I guess, like you mentioned the first project and I think, you know, for the purpose of not really going into the specifics of your project, I think there's a lot of changes. And we've discussed this on, you know, previous episodes. There's a lot of changes happening, I think, in the automation industry from the training slash maybe like upskilling yep. um, standpoint in general. So I'm wondering, you know, what are you seeing? Like, what kind of challenges are you seeing, you know, not at that com company specifically, mm -hmm. but in general, do you see... For example, the systems being deployed, I don't know if it's like OE, MES, mm -hmm. and then techs need to interact a lot more than they used to, or is mm -hmm. it, you know, like what, what's the dynamic? Where are the changes where there needs to be that training? Yeah, so I would so those systems are absolutely systems that we do work with and we interact with. Um, to back up a little bit for everyone that is not familiar with my concept of training is that in my experience, you know, over the last five or 10 years, I've seen many what we would call world-class systems be implemented. And the issue with those systems is that, I mean, to, to, to poke fun at us, the people that build the systems, is that we spend no time or have no budget to train. So it's a, we're going through the process of you know, we're going through the process and an engineer is typing up an engineering PowerPoint slide on the way to the facility. And we deliver this to a bunch of generally not engineers. And then they were like, okay, good luck. And then it's kind of, you drop it in the lap and you go. So I would say that that is kind of my general 
thought and issue with training is that there, there are better ways. Right. Um, and I know Tim in the comments, Tim and I have certainly, uh, talked about this at least once. And and I love what he and Amber are doing, um, with their trainings. And so for me, that was, that was kind of the general concept. Um, and I, we do a fair amount of work with that and training and basically people understanding what systems are, are the very baseline of what should be, you know, a, a digital transformation of what should be any sort of initiative, because the, especially the electricians and instrument techs, they're the ones who need to understand what normal operation is so that they can go through the process of fixing, uh, the pro of fixing what is broken. And if they don't understand what normal operation is and how to work on things, then they're never going to be able to go through the process of fixing what is broken. Um, and so th this in particular is less of a very, so, so this first engagement is we are building a series of modules. Um, these modules have changed a few times, but they're basically figure they're basically centered around uh, the organization's problem-solving structure. Uh, and it, it's, it's a fairly simple structure, right? And so a lot of what we're doing is talking about problem statement definition, like what is the problem? Uh, let us define what the problem is, and then we can go through the process of figuring out what the issue is. And then that kind of compounds on top of the tools and other resources that they have internally and how we want to escalate the process internally. And so a lot of it is kind of building a baseline of this is how we, uh, 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 a lot of it is building the baseline of this is how we go through and kind of fix and problem solve and troubleshoot. And I would say that we've had many of these conversations and many of these conversations uh, come from many of these conversations come from the fact that there are not, or I guess that there is a lot of turnover. There are not a lot of people right. who have the technical and, and system and facility understanding to be able to go through and successfully do these. And then we've of that small number, there are generally a smaller number of those people who in our man manager supervisor role and probably even a smaller number thereof. So very few people actually want to go through the process of training someone with no experience. Um, it, it kind of goes back to uh, to a couple of posts that I had made earlier this week. You know, one of the things we talked with Jay Paul a few episodes back is that you know every facility is is looking to hire, and you know many of them are hiring at you know twenty. $24, $25 an hour. And they've got signing bonuses because you literally cannot find people. And the theme that we've seen for the last 10 plus years of, you know, operators or someone is going to be at a facility for six months, and then they might get an extra dollar or two offer somewhere else, or they may decide they don't want to come into work and then you lose those people. And so I, I've worked with many facilities, especially around large cities that, you know, an operator average six months out of the year. So in addition to kind of resetting that baseline, the goal is how do we build sustainable tools, sustainable training, sustain, yeah, how do we build that so that, you know, the next person and the next five people and the next 10 people can come and reuse that and they can watch and read and understand what we're doing to maybe not get them to the 100% of the way of sitting through the entire training, but to get them to the point of, okay, I now understand and I can now understand where we're at, what I'm supposed to do, the tools I'm supposed to use, the people I'm supposed to talk to. And I also know the people to talk to and escalate the problem to 
when there are problems that I don't know or that the operators are brand new and so they don't know what the normal, excuse me, so they don't know what, what normal function looks like. And if they don't know what normal function looks like, it just becomes very difficult for all of us. So it's, it's kind of the step-by-step -step process to set the baseline. And then above that, we've got a bunch of tools, digital and otherwise, that we're going to use and leverage to help kind of bring a lot of those computers, a lot of those kind of, we'll call them legacy tools, right? Um, onto the plant floor. Uh, as I like to say, you know, it's, it's one of those issues that we go through and up until the point that we walk into the facility, we're the smartest person in the world because we've got a smartphone in our pocket. But as soon as we walk into the facility, the phones go away and we just kind of lose all of this technology. So part of it is certainly how can we leverage the technology that people already know and use it on the plant floor. And when you, I guess you mentioned tools a couple of times, I'm assuming mm -hmm. it's uh, it's going back to kind of the Lean Sigma, Lean Six Sigma methodologies and using like the five whys, the 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 fishbone diagrams like th those are mm -hmm. kind of the, the operational or at least tools that operators would typically use right yeah so so we, we absolutely you know you you what we certainly will leverage some of the, the lean and six sigma tools especially the the, the five whys especially you know the fishbone diagrams yep. as needed i would say a lot of the tools are you know the internal knowledge base that we're building are the you know the o m manuals are the tech support are the kind of all of the structure a lot of it a lot of it kind of as the baseline is alarming in historian so and many I mean, that's times super underrated you know like sorry to interrupt yeah. your train of thought but again like you know the knowledge base of problems or i guess like of what has been done to solve a certain problem instead yep. of just again like you've mentioned a lot of times a problem would be solved we just mm -hmm. walk away without uh yep. you know taking the time to write it down and if that's not the procedure that's enforced by management, it's very easy, right, to get caught in this, like, I guess, habit of never doing mm -hmm. it. Because, again, you're not really paid to document what has been solved. You're typically paid to be on the production line and make sure things are running. And so, um, anyways, it's really easy to cut corners. And so, if you don't, then, you know, three months later, the same problem comes back. And here we've got, like, two more days of downtime because of that yep. same issue. But no, no, I, I really I, like absolutely. That. And, and I would say... You, it's it's not even not enforced, you know, especially, you know, many Fortune 500, Fortune 5000 companies that I've worked with, like, it just doesn't exist. And so you ask, sure. okay, what are you doing to document? And there's just like crickets from, right. you, you know, managers. So a, a lot of it is kind of building tools and structure in place so that we can build on top of all of that. Um, uh, I have a customer who likes to call it blocking and tackling. And this is this is very much kind of the, the basics of blocking and tackling for all the, the American football fans out there is, you know, we need to learn the basics and then we can put the basics into the knowledge base and then we can bring all of the cool, fun tools and gadgets and augmented reality and kind of all of that onto the plant floor. But the first thing we need to do is is build some structure, get them to do it on paper. Then once we've got them to do it on paper, we can go through and get them to do it digitally and then they can search the knowledge base and, and then we can build on top of it. Many of the people that we work with are not of the same engineering mindset uh, sure. of the people that build the systems. And so a yeah. lot of it is understanding kind of the people who are using and building this, using and working on the systems and then building systems and training so that they can 
understand. And, and you know, we kind of have to understand who they are so that we can uh, communicate with them in, in the ways that they, they best understand. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, I completely with I agree with you that, uh, you know, the baseline needs to be correct. That being said, and I'm sure like you've seen this probably in your uh, years as well. But when such, I would say, again, like I'll, I'll give an example, right? So some of the five wide tools were implemented in, you know, let's say like lower end facilities that I've been to. And typically what happens is that management tries to incentivize reporting problems, right? But what that mm -hmm. creates is a culture where, let's say your operator is, I would say not like compensated by, but uh, how do you say it? Like he's incentivized to report more problems rather than spending time to do it properly, right? And so what mm -hmm. that creates is that people just stack piles and piles of five one sheets again like digitizing mm -hmm. not digitizing yeah. that's like a whole different like yeah. point but they would you know just bring in copies upon copies of five wise like here mm -hmm. i found this problem here i found that problem here but not really going through you know the process and thoroughly understanding where that problem lies whether they solved it or not but mm -hmm. i think it's equally as important once you obviously finish the groundwork and set the base in to make sure that the right um, like mindset slash education maybe is put mm -hmm. into place to make sure that people use the tools correctly. Cause it's I, even myself, you know, like when I was first introduced to these tools, I remember I was thinking like, Oh, like, well, this is like manufacturing stuff. Like uh, I'm kind of like smarter than that. Right. It's, it's not something I would um, find like extremely beneficial, but there's a lot of um, variations. And I think as you, go through the tools very properly and methodically you realize mm -hmm. how critical they are right like I, I think like that there's like a maybe a switching point of you know when you enter manufacturing in whichever capacity to how long it takes you to realize like how important this is to be part of you know this mm -hmm. like giant machine that is uh like an industrial plant or whatever mm -hmm to keep it running where it needs to be. And the top level manufacturing facilities have this almost dialed in, right? Like they know that it's important. They know how to execute. They have all these systems in place and people have the mentality of taking the time to do them right. So. Mm -hmm. No, no, absolutely. I would agree with that. And I think that it's one of those things that come with experience and age is the, it, it makes more sense. And at the end of the day, we have to, do it right, as opposed to doing it fast. And that, that's one of those things that we've talked about extensively over the course of especially this training that we're building, because it's the, the basics, right? Mm -hmm. Is what does the difference look like between, you know, the one time we did it right, but it cost us 50 hours of downtime because, or no, the, the one time we did it fast, but it cost us 50 hours of downtime. And then we had to reverse everything that we did fast four or five days later to then do it right, which would have taken an extra 15 seconds in the beginning, but because we didn't go through the process to check and verify, it became, you know, 50 hours of downtime and I don't know, $5 million or, or whatever it costs for, for the facility. And it, it's one of those, you know, you have to go back to the basics and yep. it's, as, as we go through the process, you know, there, there are more tools, there are more other things that we can do to kind of check this. But at the end of the day, a lot of times, like just a checklist to go through or, or, you know, kind of a format, which is one of the things that we've done and built is necessary because, you know, even 50 years 
into it, like sometimes you just skip steps, right? Like sometimes you accidentally miss something and you still have to go back and be like, oh, it's not working because, you know, I didn't scale the input, for instance. And you you feel kind of silly, but that's why, that's why, that's why airline pilots have checklists. Airline pilots have checklists to make sure they do the same thing every time so that you don't leave, you know, a cover on the pitot tube or you don't accidentally leave a couple of, uh, you know, big covers on the, the engines. And you, you do that so you make sure it, it, it performs the same way every time and it's, uh, it's safe to fly. No, absolutely. I, I think those documents are key. Again, I mean, personally, I, you know, I'll forget what I ate for, for lunch yesterday, right? And so the earlier I think in your career that you'll learn I guess to accept the way your flaws are, mm-hmm. the sooner you'll be able to try and like compensate in, in some ways, right? And for me, let's say it's documentation, right? So whenever I learn something, whenever I try to, that I know I'm going to reutilize, and I, I have a good example of this. So there's a PLC Q&A, PLC talk forum. I don't know if you're part mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. but I remember there was a problem with uh, a communication protocol it was an older PLC that I couldn't connect to. And so I figured it out and I actually posted on that uh, on that thread because mm-hmm. nobody had found the solution. Yep. So I'm like, oh, whatever, like I'm going to type this out, you know, just two paragraphs. And so four months later, the exact like same problem occurred. And I had like completely forgotten that I even worked on that, right? <laughs> so naturally, I started searching online, like how do I connect to this uh, old PLC and I found the thread, right? Like I Googled the same mm-hmm. problem. I found the thread and I'm like, oh my God, like I answered this question four months ago. And yeah. so in manufacturing, I think it's the exact same thing, right? The more you can build up, like you were saying, that knowledge base, that just like documentation. And again, there's obviously like bad ways like you can for sure overdo it and try to like over document everything and spend probably thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, just like sitting there documenting. But as problems arise, you enter them into a centralized database. You make sure that the person that will encounter the same problem knows, and that will save you uh, money and time in the long run. I, I've seen it being implemented very mm-hmm. well in multiple facilities, and they've been nothing but happy with uh, you know how that turned out. And again, I think in manufacturing, there's a lot of standard operating procedures, right? As you were saying, checklists, how do we do... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, basic like lubrication or going back yeah. to center lines. What does that look like? So somebody that comes in and gets hired, it's one thing to have someone senior explain to them, but it's a whole other thing that they can just look up a, a document while they're there doing their job and on, on what it takes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's uh, it's for sure like an interesting discussion. I think we're going to see more and more of that. I think that uh, as we how to say it, digitally transform to use the buzzword, but ultimately just bring in more technology. It's going to be even more important because I think, again, operators are starting to work with robotics that are not just pure, let's say like robot arms. You have like mm-hmm. Delta robots, you have AGVs. So you're starting mm-hmm. to introduce so much technology that all of that will require some form of documentation. And it's not going to be enough as you were saying, for someone who's going to turn over in six months to mm-hmm. just uh, have a senior guy walk them through because that's all they'd be doing all day, every day, right? No, absolutely. Internal documentation, internal knowledge bases, especially when you get the opportunity to kind of talk to someone who is more senior. You know, if you go and you talk to an end user and you get the expert in the system at the end user, 
you should videotape it, you should record it, you should transcribe it, whatever that looks like, you should make sure you have that knowledge because you will at some point in the future not remember that because this is this is the one person who knows the system best. And you're a thousand problems later before it comes back to you. So no, I, I would agree. And I would say kind of building knowledge bases. Uh, one of the things that I like, uh, especially about, you know, many systems integrators and stuff like that, uh, probably not all that different to some of the large posts that you put out at Solus Flat is, you know, you go and you document kind of the solutions to the problems. And even if it's ugly with a couple of screenshots and you post it, you know, there's been more I'd than I'd like once. to think it's beautiful, but, you know. I mean, Vlad, I, no one can, it, when you are looking to solve the problem, you are so happy that someone documented the problem online. You don't care what it looks looks like. The, the, on, the only embarrassing part is, as you mentioned, when you'll find the problem that you solved and documented four months ago. Um, th th that's the only, and you're not, you're not even the first person that I know who has done that before, right? Like the thing gets documented, the thing gets posted. You don't think about it. And three years later, you're Googling it and you're the top, you know, three uh you're the top three responses on google because you're the only one who has ever documented it but but it, it's one of those things that i think that we need to do better as an industry um, i know a, a number of groups that you know have private youtubes or have private uh vimeos or other things where, where they kind of capture and, and keep a lot of that and i think it's important to keep i think it's important to keep that and have that and i think building that knowledge and that structure um within a variety of different groups it is important and will continue to be important uh you know at every oem at every end user location uh, especially as you know we're going to see a, a huge group all of the the old guard you know they're all going to retire in the next five six seven years and when they retire there are there's not you know that large group of people who have 40 years of or 30 years of industry experience who can then go and kind of fill those shoes. So there, there will be a huge gap. And yeah, there, there will absolutely be a huge gap in knowledge that we as an industry are going to struggle with no matter how much effort we put in in the next five years. Like we're going to struggle. The question that I ask people is, do you want to struggle or do you want to not know how to run your facility? And, and I think that that I think that's a very realistic question for many people. Uh, you know, five, six, seven years from now, Vlad. Yeah, especially if you have those, you know, like relay-based cabinets that only one guy at your facility knows the layout of. And like scratches, you know, when like the current jumps from relay to relay, he has to like scratch off that mark so that it keeps running. But um, no, I, I completely agree. I think, uh, like I said, knowledge is going to become very, very important. I think it's also, again, like we've talked about in the last few episodes, it's not inherently a new concept, right? Like in software, there's a lot of documentation. If you go to anything that's released by a reputable company, you'll see that their documentation is nearly impeccable. It talks about different variations in the system. Again, there's obviously some flaws. There's always some things to be worked on, but ultimately it talks about, you know, what the system has been tested on, what version of software does this work with? And so if you don't have that in place for human operations, it becomes also very challenging to, um, again, it's it just time lost, right? Like somebody trying to figure this out, just like you would with uh, with a software package that hasn't been properly documented. So I, I don't think, you know, we're, like you were saying, we're going back to the basics and make sure that those are right versus like reinventing the wheel. But we are leveraging some of these, I guess, like different newer ways 
to make it easier on people, to make it more accessible. I think, again, if we go back to the current state of, I would say, like upbringing, you're raised with a tablet in your hands pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. So you would be a lot more uh, versed than I would. Let's say I still take my notes on uh, pen and paper, but you're a lot more used to as an operator to using an iPad. And so it makes more sense to that. that there you go. See, well, I, I had to flip out of the actual notes. Um, I had to flip out of the actual notes, but, uh, but no, I, I'm still a big fan of taking notes, uh, pen and paper. No. And I mean, like, again, it could be both ways. Digitization doesn't mean that we eliminate something entirely. It just means we adapted better to, uh, to the industry, to the people. So, um, you know, maybe uh, to jump into a logical transition from that entire conversation, Dave, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on the uh, on the hiring procedures as of like right now? Because I see so we follow Jordan, you know, that came and mm -hmm. talked to us. I also have a contact out of California, Christopher Marita. You're probably connected with him also. I think so. But uh, there's a lot of hiring going on in uh, in automation specifically, mm -hmm. I think. You know, there's many positions. Is this driven by the market? Is this driven by people leaving to do different things? Like what's uh, what's really going on? You know, and again, maybe we'll talk about like engineering and like lower management type yeah. of uh, personnel. Yeah. So I, I, like in my mind, I kind of segregated in a couple of different groups. Like I, I think that there has always been a need at the operator level mm -hmm. Um for more there's always been a need for more operators or operators who will have the 40 or 50 years of longevity which just isn't a thing i would say like at the engineer um and control system uh engineer developer level lots of systems integrators we're kind of seeing the backlash of I don't know, like 16 or 18 months ago when COVID started happening and we started laying off a lot of people because facilities started slowing down. And so people were laying off some amount of talent and there was a glut of talent on the market. And then kind of manufacturing started picking back up and we needed more people. So we hired them and manufacturers have money. The, one, the ones that are doing well seem to be doing very well. So they have more money. So they want to build more, they want to automate more, or they're forced to automate more with the lack of physical human beings they can get um, within facilities. And so I, I think a lot of it is there is desire for talent that is just not on the market. I think that there, there is, we, we, people are desirous of, you know, this other group of folks that have 10 years of industry experience and are looking to, to go take a job. And I generally don't think they exist. You know, are there some out there? Absolutely. Um, but I would imagine most of them are gainfully employed. And then you're looking to hire them away from a group. And if the group has treated them well, especially like over COVID, they're probably not going to leave. But if they haven't been treated well, or maybe they're looking to make a move, or maybe the other companies offering them, you know, plus 25% salary, then I certainly think that, that there are opportunities. So I see a lot of people wanting to do a lot of work in manufacturing and automation who would theoretically need, you know, large chunks of people to do it. 
And just generally speaking, I, I think that we are getting very close to the point that they're desirous for people that don't necessarily exist. And if they do exist, there's no, like not a huge chunk of them. So I think that there is, there's almost a push to get more people who understand, you know, PLC programming, uh, more people to kind of upskill from that maybe ENI tech level to more of an engineer level. Um, I think that it's also the issue of we churn engineers so fast at facilities. Um, if you guys listen to, to Jim Gavigan, uh, who was on one of our earlier episodes, he, he and I talk about this probably at least once a month. Um, and, you know, he just, he, you just see churns. And many times by the time you get an engineer up and running on a problem and you go through training and you go back three or four years later to, to train on the same t- style of system again, you know, most of those engineers are gone and they've either left to go to facilities that are in a better location or they've left the industry or they've risen in management. And so there's just not the consistency that one would have of a subject matter expert in many of those facilities. And honestly, we're not churning, we're not pushing out enough new engineers or engineers that have co-ops like we've talked about in previous uh, in, in previous episodes. We're not pushing out enough people that have the skills or desire to go into manufacturing because at the end of the day, manufacturing is still seen as, you know, the dirty old thing that, you know, dad and granddad did. And uh, yeah. W- w- what are you seeing, Vlad? I mean, I just, uh, I see a ton of postings, but I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, the skills. So you've mentioned uh, like PLC and HMI programming. Are you seeing like different skills as well? Like, are you seeing more demand for like MES data type of uh, like application skills or are you seeing like any change whatsoever or is it still just supporting like facilities in their like standard operations on the control systems and i guess like robotics could be thrown into the mix because i think that's Mm -hmm. certainly growing if um we follow the report right like fanuc i think every year releases how many arms have been sold in north america or somebody publishes that and that's been steadily growing so uh, again i'm wondering if you're seeing maybe a higher concentration of a specific skill set or it's just generalized uh, automation engineers? Yeah, I, I so I think that kind of the specialized skills have been in demand for, you know, five or more years, you know, looking for an MES or looking for an OSI soft pie or looking for robot, you know, someone with, you know, FANUC experience, uh, you know, even, even getting into maybe like motion control and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think that those, skills have been in demand for years and i don't necessarily want to call them recession proof but during the height of the pandemic many of the people that i were talking to that were super busy um the the many of the people that i was talking to that were super busy um turned out I can't talk. Many of the people that I was talking to that were super busy, you know, were doing robotic arms or they were doing motion control or they were doing something like that. And I think that those people are, are, are very busy on a regular basis. So I think that the, 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 skill, the demand for those skills, the skills that are harder to come by, the, the skills that require, you know, more experience have generally been there for many years. Um, I think they've generally been there for many years and those are only going to get harder and those companies are only going to be in more demand and those people are only going to be in more demand because those are exactly the groups that uh, that we are looking for and uh, and need to talk to and uh, and work with. And yes. 
Yeah, I mean, on my side, I, I see a lot of, again, maybe it depends on my connections and just the circle of, uh, of influence, but I see a lot of discussions around, like digital transformation gets thrown around more and more. I think companies are trying to centralize, um, again, their analytics. Everyone's trying to, and again, more so than before the pandemic, at least, but everyone's trying to leverage, quote unquote, AI, machine learning, to uh, get some more information out of their operations. So I see more demand for MES engineers, engineers who understand not just, um, again, not the automation side, but a lot more of the IT side, right? Like networking is becoming a lot more problematic for a lot of companies, right? Because, Absolutely. And, and it's not, again, like this is not a new phenomenon. I, I just think that the pandemic somewhat accelerated the the nature of things and so everyone wants their plan to be fully connected everyone wants to work remotely for better or for worse and so what that requires is being able to get your network up and running and all your devices connected as uh, as one would expect uh, many facilities were doing but i think now the uh, full fully understand like the need uh, of having that in place and you know like we talked about you bring in like 10 robotic arms well someone needs something needs to control that there's like plcs associated with that and that becomes very quickly a complicated project not just from having them on the floor but also who do they uh communicate to from like a, a data standpoint like who troubleshoots them who's going to remote in to check up Absolutely. on these arms so anyways that's just uh kind of what i'm seeing um happening based no, on absolutely. the people i talked to so so let me turn it around vlad you you are always the one who asks <clears throat> the best question so so let me turn it around i want to make sure that we can uh devote some time to you and i would imagine like every week we will uh, we will once again go beyond the hour that we have allotted but vlad what have you been up to i think you guys have been busy very busy with solace i know that you guys are working on some stuff with joel tech i don't know how much of it you can talk about but but what, what have you guys been up to yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll take a step back. Um, again, I don't remember our previous conversation and where we were, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I finished my MBA degree in uh, May. Yeah. Right. So I, I finished that and essentially transitioned to working full time on mm -hmm. Solus PLC slash Joltech, right? That's still, uh, still in place. And so there's a couple of main activities. So on the content side for Solus PLC, so we've been a lot more consistent on, you know, producing new content, both in video and written form. We started working with companies, again, that really fit the, um, you know, what we're looking to showcase to our readers and our viewers. And so we've been trying to build content with them. As you mentioned, you know, the, the PLC giveaway that uh, Preston mm -hmm. did. So we've partnered with Siemens and started working on some content with them. And so that's been very interesting because I think, what um what i would typically underestimate is the amount of time it takes to learn a new platform right and so i've learned alan bradley i would say very naturally through work but it did take a couple of years before i could say like well i i am comfortable and i'm, I'm still not always comfortable right when you go to a new facility there's there's always going to be questions but ultimately it takes a lot of time to learn something and then to be able to present it to an audience that's also looking to understand what is going on. And so, yeah, like uh, like I said, we've partnered up with them and I had to learn uh, a lot of the Siemens TIA portal programming, which has been extremely interesting. There's a lot of 
very neat features and I talk about them in the videos if you're curious to check that out on the YouTube channel. But uh, it's definitely something that I look to continue doing. We've also, so I've reached out to a couple of companies to talk about IO links. So that's a, I'm assuming you're familiar with the protocol. I'm definitely, like I've heard a lot of pitches at conferences. I've never seen it in play. So I've actually gotten a few demo kits. And so we'll be taking a look at, you know, that technology. I also have a lot of interest in on the application side. So we've talked about, you know, the sponsor that we had last month. We talked about um, a, a few different uh, applications other than uh, than that, too. So on the SCADA side, on the OE side, I'm exploring a few applications through uh, what's it called? Um, Ignition. So Ignition has a very interesting package called SepaSoft. So they're a module for OE, MES, and just general plant analytics, if you're not uh, familiar with that, if you're listening. And so I'm very curious, you know, on how we can build some content for such uh, applications, because I think there's a general lack of, uh, of such content. So anyways, that's, uh, that's kind of like Solus PLC. We're building content both on YouTube, we're building content on the website, we're trying to find again, like key partners that would be interested in helping us with the learning curve, because I think it's very important. And that's like one of the realization, like I, I kept mentioning we had with Siemens is that if you have a partner that understands the technology well, and you can learn through them, and then you can portray the hardware slash software in the best light, I think it makes a lot more sense than for me to spend, you know, time researching myself and then trying to explain it. And then mm -hmm. on the Joltec side, so Joltec, I guess to summarize, it's the arm of Solus PLC where we do more of uh, systems integration type of work. I couldn't tell you that we've done a lot, but we did work on a project for, um, again, so this was open during ICC and it was mentioned during a live demo. So I think I can talk about it openly for a Phoenix contact. So just having a demo of the PLC Next Starter Kit. I have it actually sitting... I don't know how well you can see it. It's oh. right there. So this uh, PLC Next Starter Kit was connected through um, an MQTT broker into an AWS instance that was running Ignition and a few other uh, software packages to display some simulation of a plant. And so that was a, a very fun project. I learned quite a bit. We're actually uh, working or starting to work with... Um, PLC Next to kind of develop some more videos and, uh, you know, tutorials on that platform as well. But um, yeah, the idea was to pass some data to that instance to showcase, you know, that you can load a lot of these. Uh, so we use Node-RED to pass the MQTT data that was originally in OPC UA to the broker. So just kind of showing some proof of concept and feasibility through these uh, hardware platforms that are, mm -hmm. I think... Again, we've talked about Opto 22, which has a similar capability. I think the platforms are going to fall into like different applications. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, where they will be used in uh, in manufacturing because they have their own advantages in their own regard. But yeah, that's, um, you know, that's kind of like what we've been doing. Uh, we had a conversation about, uh, so data, I think, again, if I can maybe take a minute and explain what I'm trying to figure out. So I've spent a number of years working with uh, manufacturing data, right? So the last three years that I've spent on the plant floor was always to figure out how can we send 
data through a data concentrator into this, uh, first of all, database, but then essentially a tool that would present those analytics to management, to operators, to like mechanics, electricians, whoever. To, and um, I think the biggest part or the most complicated and time-consuming part was always getting that data. And there's multiple, I think, like problems with that, and we can dive into a deeper discussion. But uh, I feel in traditional systems integration, that is a key component to any system that you would have on like past the PLC side, right? So that's going to be your SCADAs, your MES systems, and uh, reliable data is very difficult and not only reliable, but also contextual, right? So if you work in automation, you know that you need to understand programming, you need to understand hardware, you need to understand the process. So you spend a lot of time on the floor just trying to map out every single sensor going into your database. And so I'm trying to figure out a way on how that can be simplified. I couldn't tell you, Dave, that at this point, you know, I have a solution or an answer. I only have uh, theories and maybe like some application notes. I certainly think, you know, after going through that exercise with uh, Phoenix Contact that uh, I've gotten sold on the unified namespace idea because I think it solves uh, several problems that I've seen in the industry, which is mainly giving the uh, metaphorical, you know, keys of the of the vehicle back to the enterprise versus allowing every systems integrator to create their own databases and then use that for their own applications, lock everybody out. But again, there, there's a lot of discussions to be had. I'm sure it's different depending on the industry. It's different depending on the plant, but that's just kind of uh, my thinking process. And I, I, I really hope to explore this with um, with some manufacturing plants. So I'm trying to have some conversations around what problems they're seeing in their facility and how we can come in and try to uh, to help them on that on that front. No, absolutely. I, I like that. I think that, that that is all very exciting. I would like to talk a little bit about the data collection and these pies and kind of the continuation mm -hmm. Uh, of the the last episode, but but first, um, I, I like IO Link a lot. I think IO Link will be will be very good. So I I worked for a number of years with Banner Engineering, and they they do a lot of IO Link, and so does Turk, and so does IFM Effector. You know, it's very much kind of the baseline of we can you know connect things, and then once the sensors are connected to gateways or other devices, we can then in theory kind of pull them in to uh, to all of the other solutions. So I would say IO-Link is a, is a positive. It is very much kind of the baseline of, you know, how do we put everything together for an industry 4.0 or digital transformation or any sort of data collection, data analytics um, initiative. So yep. I, think you will, I think you will enjoy that. Uh, I'm sure we could talk for hours about it because I've spent weeks of my life talking about it um in, in the past we're gonna have to shake the head and rattle around to uh, to make sure we get that knowledge uh back to the top before we do but we can absolutely uh, talk about that some more and i think that kind of the data initiative that you're talking about i think that's very interesting um as glad as i'm sure you know and i'm sure many of the listeners know i've spent many years of my life kind of working down uh, towards the same thing on similar problems and done similar solutions. And so I look forward to kind of continuing to have those conversations um, and, and see how that, see how that kind of continues um, down the process and uh, what, if anything, we can talk about and share um, on the show to kind of get other thoughts and feedback as there, there are many initiatives and routes uh, one can go down 
for that. But, uh, but, but beyond that, and kind of something that you talked a little bit about, something we talked about last week and something that has been uh, hotly contested, at least on my LinkedIn and I think Frank's, because uh, in the last couple of weeks has been kind of the, the use of maybe call them non-industrial, not, not intentionally industrial solutions. So, so Vlad has some Raspberry Pis. Um, so anyone who didn't listen last week with John, we kind of talked about pies versus not pies. Are, are they industrial grade? What happens uh, when you go to use them in the plant facility? John was staunchly in the, he's nuked too many of them to consider ever using them again on the plant floor. I think Vlad was kind of on the other side. I've had many conversations. I've talked to some folks from Revolution Pie. I've talked to some other people about it. And I think it's it's interesting. Um, and kind of to the point that you brought up last week, I think that it would be interesting if we could get some hardware in and uh, find some sponsors or find some time to do some, some more testing, right? So we could test some of these things next to each other. Because so you've got the pies, which are the, the red things uh, down by Vlad. And you have... Uh, you know, the industrial hardened pies and you've got Siemens gateways and those to my understanding are more in the like 200 ish dollar range. And then kind of above those, you've got like a PLC next, which I'm sure Vlad has floating around somewhere down by his feet, you know, four or five dozen of those. Um, and then you've also got the Opto 22 Rios and kind of other Linux style boxes. I'm just going to kind of lump them into Linux style boxes. Um, and yeah, I think all, all of that is interesting, but, uh, but, but what, what is kind of your thoughts? Um, what is your thoughts on that, Vlad? I mean, look, Dave, so first and foremost, I would define the scope of the project, right? And figure out the requirements. I think that's like the first step in any engineering endeavor, just in general. So number one, if all you're looking for is to pass like two, three tags and all you need is like a Linux based platform, like maybe the cost is is good enough for a Raspberry Pi, right? And again, we've talked about uh, some cooling solutions that can be added on top of just the base board. There's more industrial industrialized um, boards that you can buy as well at a slightly higher cost, maybe double, triple the, you know, the 40, 50 bucks for the Raspberry Pi. Um, at the end of the day, the way I look at it, it, it it's, it's really defined by the application, right? If you start growing and like your entire plant needs to send data, then obviously you're not going to start putting Raspberry Pis in every single machine and cabinet because that quickly becomes a mess, right? So yep. I, I'm, I'm certainly not a proponent of doing more work and again, doing work that may fail very quickly. So if that's mm -hmm. your case, if that's your requirement, well, maybe we should look into an entire server, right? Like that could be mm -hmm. an entire rack, like wall mounted, whatever, like we're in a cold room, um, and properly ventilated. If you're looking to pull data from, again, if you have skids that you're you're some kind of a, an equipment manufacturer, well, maybe the cost you can, you can put a, a controller in there that would also control or like receive some data, right? So in that case, you can look at the OptoRio, um, and so OptoRio is like highly configurable. Again, I spent a little bit of time on it. I think it has up to 20 different uh, IO points and you can configure them. So if that's what you're looking for, that's what you're going to buy. If you're looking for more IO points, well then maybe the, the Groove Epic or the PLC Next is going to make more sense. And it, again, it, it really depends, I think, on the application side. And are you going to do control with that 
uh, same device or are you only going to pass data? Like what exactly is the application? So the <laughs> way, you know, to come back to what I'm trying to do with data or the way I would like to approach this problem is that it should be almost hardware, hardware agnostic. Meaning that if you want to, again, pull one or two tags, it will tell you like, well, go ahead and buy a Raspberry Pi because this is going to be, uh, you know, the most cost effective solution. It's going to tell you what the temperature of the Pi is. And if it overheats, then like you can add a cooling uh, cooler to it. If you're going to, again, deploy an entire plant, here's the server we can recommend. If you have multiple... Um, I don't know, case packer machines that you're looking to pull data from, well, maybe that's going to take like a, something a little bit more robust, like an IPC that's going to be dedicated to that. So I'm, I'm not like advocating for one solution or another. I think it's really driven by, uh, by, your, by your problem statement and what you're trying to solve. And that's, that's just my aspect on almost every engineering, I, I would say, problem. No, no, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and, I, and I appreciate your thoughts on that. I think kind of for, for me, the one differentiating factor is the thought that, you know, the end user is going to be spending tens or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on this solution. I Do, do we really want them to spend, call it $300,000 on a solution that at the base is a $30 Raspberry Pi? Because if we have an issue and we've got to fly out to the site to swap a $30 Raspberry Pi, and they're like, hey, we spent a quarter of a million dollars on this system. Why do I have a $40 piece of hardware that my kid plays around with at home? Uh, for, for, for me, the, the perception is, is wrong, right? Like if you're going to charge $100 a month for this solution, then they're not, you're not going to be able to put a $5,000 IPC on there. But with the cost of everything, you know, once you get to the point of, you know, you call it a $40 board and you got a $20 cooler and you got 10 bucks in a power supply and you've got 10 bucks in a, you know, box to put it in. And then you got five bucks in a DIN rail and then you put it all together and it takes an hour because it's so tiny that then suddenly for me, every time I've done the math, it becomes doing it, you know, more than once or twice, if we're going to go and push this out to production, buying something for 200 to 800 bucks is a lot less expensive, especially if you can get them. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to kind of comment on your initial point, I don't think you should be shortchanging the customer for sure. Mm -hmm. So definitely if it's a large project, that's not something that I would put in. And again, like I said, I don't think I would recommend it unless, so the idea with this whole, like, again, going back to the data project, is that it would be open source, right? So if you're looking to pull some data in your facility just to play around, that's where you would put in a Raspberry Pi, right? And you're pulling some data, whatever, it's a non-commercial project, you're going to pull a couple of tags and that's going to go into the cloud. Um, again, you can load very quickly, node red onto it and do whatever. But mm -hmm. if you're going to build a several hundred thousands of dollar like development project and you send out raspberry pis i i think i completely agree with you it's not going to look very good um and so yeah i i would definitely look at a more robust solution and i think in certain instances it's fine to how to say it over uh, make the system overly robust in case mm -hmm. there is expansion because a lot of times you know from what i've seen it starts off with, you know, we want to pull in, I don't know, a couple of thousand tags from this line. And then very quickly, it's like, oh, like, can we do this line as well? Like once 
once the customer usually gets a taste of, uh, I would say, good work and something that makes sense to them, they're going to typically ask for more. And yep. so if you put in something that can handle more upfront, again, it doesn't have to be, you know, if you're going to pull a couple hundred data points, you don't need to put in like an entire server rack for 50 grand. But yep. uh, at the very least, like have some capacity to like maybe double what you're currently putting in. Uh, but again, I, I think it goes back to having a good discussion on the requirements, maybe asking the questions, well, what is this going to look like in six months to a year to mm -hmm. three years versus just, um, you know, making assumptions on your own and putting in whatever you think uh, makes sense. But I don't think we disagree. I, I really think that we're on the same page. Uh, I think it's uh, it's definitely a good tool. It's it's uh, on the lower end, can mm -hmm. be used for proof of concept and some like very basic applications, but ultimately there's much better uh, hardware out there. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I think for, for proof, of, proof of concept and things like that, you're not going to get better, less expensive than that in a couple of thermocouples or whatever sensors you are looking to uh, to pull in. So I think I, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I would absolutely uh, agree with that. And the whole kind of rabbit hole that this is taking me down with the more ruggedized uh, revolution pie um, and other things. And so, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So we've got Jeffrey uh, in the comments and, and he and I were talking over the last week about SD cards being a point of failure. And so we've had some people reach out talking about industrialized SD cards. You know, th this is a, this is a crazy rabbit hole that, uh, that that we have gone down, Vlad. And hopefully, at some point before the end of the year, we will have kind of an update, inclusive in one of these episodes, that uh, that, that we can talk about uh, kind of the learnings that we have done, and perhaps kind of the thoughts and processes on uh, on where this goes next. But no, um, do do you have any other thoughts, Vlad? Do do we want to continue to chat some more? Do we want to uh, do we want to call it an episode? I mean, I think we should be trying to always aim for that one hour mark. We can certainly talk about uh, trying and topics, failing, but uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I think we can we can call it again. I think you know if we get some feedback on this format, maybe we can yep. even have you know check ins at a different yeah. date um, mm -hmm. in a week or something like that, where it would be a little bit more frequent than you know we've been doing. If people are interested in these conversations, again, we welcome all questions. Uh, through LinkedIn, YouTube, or even afterwards, I think it's fairly easy to uh, to find us through the website, through the podcast as well. Um, so if you have any questions, if you have any comments, maybe topics that we want to discuss, that would be uh, very appreciated. But uh, yeah, Dave, do you have any, I would say that I'm very uh, down to close this off. Uh, any Absolutely. last comments, thoughts? No, no, I would agree with Vlad. If you guys like this, so these episodes, at least on the podcast, tend to do the best, right? The Vlad and I talk and tend to do the best, you know, plus 20 or plus 30% for whatever reason. Um, if you guys want this more often, please let us know and we will find opportunities to do more of these where we talk, we answer your questions. We kind of give you updates on this. Part of our goal at the beginning was to talk about kind of what we're doing and to some extent document our journey for people going through it with us, but also for people who may be coming, you know, up in the next, you know, year, two years, five years, uh, whatever that looks like. But no, uh, thank you guys all. Again, this has been episode 32 of me, Dave, and this guy, Vlad, on Manufacturing Hub. Uh, thank you to everyone watching live. 
um, please feel free to go ahead and give us, you know, a, a thumbs up, uh, go ahead and react, go ahead and subscribe to our LinkedIn's to the manufacturing hub uh, page, go ahead to subscribe to Solus PLC. Um, it's my goal that next week we are able to talk about kind of the first giveaway that, uh, that we want to do uh, one way or another. And we're excited about that. But until next week, we'll talk to all of you soon. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.